0: Amen. Take your copy of scripture this morning, if you will, and turn to the book of Esther, Esther chapter four, the book of Esther chapter four, and how awesome it is for me to be back and for our family to be back here. We may be dragging just a bit, just a bit. But what a week, a wonderful week that we had. And I know I saw a lot of the temple folks that were there. They were like, I don't know if you know this, but there were like 15 families or so from our church there last week or so. I ran into a few of them, dodged a lot of them so I wouldn't have to speak to them. I thought that maybe uh, this morning some of us would wear our ears or so. I don't see any of those coming in. Uh, I did have a few folks who asked me this morning. There was one in particular. I won't call his name because I don't want to embarrass him in any way. But Bob Myers asked me if we were going to have a fast pass this morning for the message. I don't know if any of you have been to Disney, you know what that means. I said, well, you got a fast pass to get in. There are no lines to get in this sanctuary. You can come in and you can hear the message this morning. But hey, it was, it was a great week for us. And I'm, I'm back and hey, I'm excited about the message that God has given me this morning. I wanna share it with you from Esther chapter four. You know, there are words that just reverberate throughout history. Words that make such a difference. Challenges, times when people are called to action. I love to see those moments in history. I, I love history itself. I, I almost majored in it when I was in college uh, because I just love studying history itself, I, I remember, for example, this one instance back in 1940 when there was this guy who probably had some vices of his own, but a guy I really respected as I look back in history, and his name was Winston Churchill, and an individual that would stand and have boldness and courage to challenge the people he spoke to a beleaguered nation in 1940. And he told them, he said, if the British Empire and its commonwealth were to last a thousand years, he hoped that that moment that they were going through, that dark moment would actually result in the finest hour its empire had ever seen. And it was a challenge to the people to rise up and to take hope and to take action And I believe as we read the Scripture today, as we see this challenge, a challenge that was uttered hundreds of years ago, but a challenge that continues to speak to us today, I hope that we would sense that courage and that boldness that we should have as we take up the task that God has given us. Because we, listen, we have been appointed for a task, we have been appointed for a time such as this. I believe it. As we come together as God's people. So Esther chapter 4. We'll focus on verses 13 and 17. Mordecai is going to speak to Esther. And again if you've read through this story. You know that this is a very dark hour. For the nation of Israel. You know as you've looked back at chapter 3. That basically the nation has received a death sentence. That there is this Hitler-esque. Maniacal man named Haman who is coming against the Jewish people. He wants to see them exterminated. And what he's done now is he has received the authority from the Persian king to carry out his evil task. He has all authority. And if you're reading through this, listen. If you're reading through this story and you don't have a good perspective of who God is and his sovereignty... If you don't understand God's faithfulness to his people, if you're just reading the story, you're going to think to yourself, the end of the nation is near. Because all resources, all commands, all authority has been given to this man to destroy the people of God. You would think this is it for the people. But listen. God is always, he is always taking notice of what is happening among his people. And God is always on his throne. And God is always sovereign. And God knows exactly what is happening. And God has positioned this one lady, this one individual named Esther, in a place to make a difference. The people in chapter 4, they cry out. They recognize the darkness. The Bible says that they weep and they wail those of the Eastern mind, such, uh, so much more public with their emotion than what we in our Western world are. And here they weep and wail. They put on sackcloth. They put on ashes to represent their mourning. And in the midst of that, Esther hears that her cousin, the one who had raised her, has joined in this mourning And she doesn't know exactly what's going on. So she sends him new clothes in a sense to try to say, hey, put on new clothes. Don't cry about things. Don't weep. I don't know what's going on because somehow Esther had been removed from this decree. She had been placed in in an area where she didn't know all that was going on. So she didn't know. She just wanted Mordecai to be happy about things. Mordecai had sent back word to her of what was going on, a copy of the decree itself. And of course, asking her for help. Esther, the queen, she recognized that she hadn't seen the king in 30 days and she didn't know if he was mad at her or if she was going to be invited back into his presence. She knew there were all types of risk. And then verse 13, Mordecai told them to answer Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Listen to those words. Mordecai, who has directed her, who has given her guidance all of her life. Who is now asking her to step up and to do something in the position that God has given her. He he basically says, God has appointed you, he has given you this place in the kingdom for such a time as this. You know, a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, you remember my message, right? See, you're better at this. Now you're scared. You're afraid that I'll go back into a repetition of that message and all. And we'll not get out of here for quite a while. But a few weeks ago, I talked about how you live in a hate-filled world. And basically what I said is that you do what you can when you live in a hate-filled world. You do what you can. You, You demonstrate love. You demonstrate grace. You do whatever you can to push back the darkness. But even in moments... When you see that there's nothing physically, nothing that you can do through your speech or through your activity, what you have to do is trust God to do what only he can. So there are times we do what we can, certainly with God's provision, but there are times when we say, God, we can't do anything about this. We know that. We trust you to do something. Now, what you see in this passage is actually those two truths coming together they're intersecting. What he is saying here is that, Esther, you can do something because God has done something. You can do something because God wants to do something through you. And you see, that is what God wants to work in our lives. He puts us in a place, in a position to make sure that we are working toward his plan and achieving his goals. Now, I know you've heard me say this before, But all of us have a plan and a purpose before God. I believe that God has a plan and purpose for each individual that's sitting here in this place today. That God wants to achieve something through us. And what he does is he gives us a responsibility and a position to fulfill that plan. We have a responsibility To see what God has done in our lives. To see what God wants to do in our lives. And to fulfill that plan. We have that responsibility. Do you hear Mordecai as he speaks to Esther? He says, you have a responsibility. That's what he's saying. God's given you this position. And you must act as God has blessed you. Esther had been strategically placed in this position To make a difference. Now some of you would say. Especially if you read the story. Some of you would say. She's been strategically placed by God. I mean this is a sordid story. All of the things that we've read. I mean there's so much immorality behind it. I mean even her becoming queen. In this great beauty contest. It was demeaning of women. I mean how can you say. That God strategically placed her there. Well, this is the awesome truth. God works through all those dark, difficult, demeaning times of life. God still can work. I'm not saying to you that that's exactly the way God wants us to respond because we have a free will and we do things that are not good all the time. But we have a God who can take all of those mess-ups... And all of those difficulties, and he can work through them to bring about his plan and his purpose. Remember what Paul said? All things can work together. All things work together for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. All those things. So that means even the most difficult, even, even when you read the immoral, Sorted story of Esther, especially in those beginning chapters, just know God used all of that to put her right in the position where she can make a difference. I just say, wow. I mean, if God can do that, then God can still do it now. And I hate to tell you, but there are things in my past that I'm not the most proud of. There are things that have happened that I would think to myself, how could God use that? And yet some way, in, in some fashion, God has worked those things out for my good and for his glory. You know that, right? Yes. God can do that constantly in our lives. And God can use all of that baggage. Because see, some of us come in here, many of us come in here with baggage. And God can take those things... And he can even use those to strategically place us in a position of ministry and work for him. Because our God continues to work and fashion us and shape us. He can work through our past. And then he can work through us where we are now in our present. And that's what we need to hear. That God can work within us now. Listen to what Mordecai says again. He basically says to Esther, hey, you can do something. But if you don't, know that God has the power to raise up somebody who will. God wants to use you. God wants to bring relief and deliverance for his people through you. But if you don't do it, God's got the power to raise up somebody else who will. So God is sovereign. That means he's on the throne. He is the king, but he wants to use you. Now that is incredibly encouraging in two different ways. One, it's great to know that we have a God that has power to raise up anybody to do anything to achieve his goals. Is it not? I mean, that in of itself is encouraging to me. But the second part is this. God chooses us. He could choose anybody, but he has specific plans for us. God could choose anybody else, but he had a woman named Esther that he wanted to use. God could choose anybody to be the pastor at Temple Baptist Church. I believe that. And I'm so grateful. I saw Peggy here this morning. I'm so grateful that Andrew did a great job last week. Usually, you know, I I try to think through who I'm going to get because I don't want somebody better than I am. (laughs) And I tell Leslie, I said, baby, I can't be gone two Sundays because they'll realize they can get by without me. You know what I'm saying? I got to be back. And then last week, I think I I messed up because to be honest with you, I got so many texts. I was like, yes, see, Andrew is now trying to get my job. That's what he's trying to do. (laughs) Just kidding. I love the boy. love the boy. He's a great young man of God. But you know, it was God who gave me the opportunity to be here. God could choose anybody, but he chose me to be here. God could use anybody else in the position that you're in. You know that? I hate to tell you, hate to burst your bubble because some of you think, well, I couldn't get away. I mean, that job, they could not get along without me. That company, you know. God could achieve his purpose and his plan but he chose you for such a time as this. He chose me for such a time as this. He chose Esther. God has a plan. We have a responsibility to see that plan and to know that we are living a life of destiny. That's how I I brought the subtitle of this series in, is that Esther is a life of destiny. Tony Evans, who I I love, I love to hear him preach. Tony Evans has said that destiny is basically your customized life calling, your customized life calling that God has equipped and ordained you for in order to bring him the greatest glory and to maximize his kingdom efforts. That's what destiny is. Your customized life calling that God has ordained and equipped you for so that he could bring himself the greatest glory and so that he can maximize his kingdom. And what God wants to do in our lives is to fulfill that destiny for us. We have a life calling that he has personalized, that he has customized just to us. And as we fulfill that calling in life, we will see his glory We will see it in a greater way and we will see his kingdom expanded and that we are called for such a time as this. Later on, Paul in the book of Acts, he'll make a similar statement about King David. I wanted to focus on this a few weeks ago when I was preaching about King David, but I knew I was going to come up and I could come back to it. Because I love this statement. When Paul's preaching in Acts chapter 13, he he just makes this statement about David. He said, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers. Listen to that again. After he had served his own generation by the will of God. In other words, David had that moment, had that time that God had appointed to make a difference. David lived in a certain season... And God had a certain purpose for him in those moments. Basically, you could say David led for such a time as this or the time that he had seen. Now, there are days, I don't know about you, but there are days when I feel like I've been born out of place. Now, I know I was raised in North Mississippi. And every day I recognize that we were about 60 years behind everybody else. And it's still about 60 years behind everybody else. Except for the baseball team. Anybody see what's going on with Ole Miss? You following that? I hope. Maybe. Maybe. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Just remember, Ben, evaluations are coming up, my friend. Evaluations. (laughs) There are times when I think, man, I'm just born out of place. I, I should have been born earlier. You know, I... My, my parents were old school in a lot of ways. And, you know, I, my mind is kind of geared that way. And, and I think, God, am I, am I born just a few years too late? And God always reminds me, no. You're born for such a time as this. I didn't mess up. I know what I'm doing. Esther was in the right place. Place at the very right time. I mean, if this had happened a few years before, if Haman had approached Hazarus a few years before, Esther would not have been queen. She couldn't have done anything about it. Maybe if there was a maniacal, Hitler esque individual that comes later, after Esther's reign, she couldn't do anything about it, she would have been gone. But God placed her there for that moment, for that time. And every day I'm reminded, every day I'm reminded that you and I have been placed here, right in this place, in the Ruston community, in Lincoln Parish. We have been placed here for such a time as this. That is the reason this whole year my refrain is and will be, make it count Because life is but a vapor which appears for just a little while and then it's gone. In the the grand scheme of eternity, it's just a little time that we have here on this earth. And what God wants to do is to use us. Let me ask you this question. Why has God placed you where you are right now? I want you to think about it. Maybe you can't answer it right now, but maybe it will... That question will walk out of here with you. And this afternoon, you'll contemplate it. This evening, as you lay down, you'll think about it. Tomorrow morning, when you get up, it will energize you. Why are you here? Why are you in this place at this time? What does God want to achieve? What's incredible, I made a note of this Esther was not a priest or a preacher. See, most of the time when we think about, you know, God's plan and God's will and God's work in people's lives, we think about vocational calling, vocational ministry, and I believe all in that. But I also believe, as I said earlier, God has a plan and purpose for everybody in this room. And as I've noted, not everybody in this room is a preacher or a pastor. So my question to you is what is God called you to in this in the setting that you are in right now why has he placed you there for such a time as this what does he want to accomplish what does he want to achieve maybe you're a student maybe you attend elementary or middle school or high school or even college what does god want to do with you right now How does he want to work in your life to affect other students around you? And I know some of you say, oh, Reggie, don't talk about school right now. We just got out of school. That's the last thing we want to think about. But maybe this summer, God is preparing you for what is going to happen in the fall and the next semester. How will you respond to what God wants you to do in that setting? May I just remind you again, some of you can reach those students better than I can or your parents can or anybody else can. That person who sits by you every day that needs to know the Lord Jesus as his Savior, as her Savior, you can do something about that. God is customizing your life calling. And he wants to use you to maximize the expansion of his kingdom and to bring him the greatest glory. Educators, again, you don't want to hear about school. You probably are worse than the children about it, right? Like, I don't want to hear about that right now. Some of the greatest influences are those who are educators. And again, you put up with all kinds of things that come. And yet, why has God put you in that position for this moment to make a difference for the kingdom? Nurses tax preparers, business owners, engineers. Hey, engineers who are the modern day Pharisees, if God can use them, he can use anybody, right? (laughs) Hey, you know I'm speaking truth. Come on, folks. I was told when I was in seminary, never put an engineer on the dream team. An engineer will tell you 983 ways how it cannot be done. You do not put them on a dream team. They will kill your dream every time. (laughs) Now, to be fair, you need them on the do team. You need them on getting it done. Because after they tell you 983 ways in which you cannot do it, you tell them the decision's already been made. We are going to do it. You have to figure it out. But hey, how does God want to use you? This is back to that concept that we have preached for years here. And that is that your work, your vocation should be identified with Christ and work should be like worship for you because you are serving him. How can you extend the kingdom? How can you use your work? Esther was not a priest or a preacher. She had been strategically placed in that position. You've been strategically placed in the position at work. You've been strategically placed in a position in your family. Oh, I didn't mention this earlier. But some of you who are retired and you say, I'm off the hook on this. No, you're not. Because many of you have a strategic position in your family in which you can influence and make a difference for the kingdom. Some of you are raising your grandkids. And I know it's not the exact way that you thought you would spend your retirement. But what a great opportunity God has given you to pour into those children. The love of Christ, the Word of God. God has strategically placed you there. Hey, influences, the power of one. I went back over the last few months and just thought through some of the people. Two in particular that influenced our culture in such a contrasting way. One in such a negative way. I was looking up last night just to remind myself of Hugh Hefner's death and to think of how he brought such immorality into our culture. And really that was his goal. He even talked about launching a sex revolution He passed away back in September. Then, to contrast it with a recent death of Billy Graham. To think how Billy Graham influenced people toward Christ. See, we're influencing people one way or the other. Don't think you're having a neutral effect on people. You're influencing people. Always are. I thought about those individuals and Billy Graham. And and then I got to thinking, well, you know what? When I mention Billy Graham, some of you will think, well, I'd never be a Billy Graham. You may not be, because God had Billy Graham for such a time as this, for a season. But that doesn't mean that God's not going to use you in some way, some fashion. You know, Miss Black, she was my kindergarten teacher. You knew her, right? First love of my life. I love Miss Black. She had an impact upon me. Even as a five year old boy going to morning class, yes, we only had half day back then. Morning class. It's kind of where it is where I met Leslie, by the way. Well, maybe if you haven't heard, you've heard of Charles Covington, right? My high school Bible teacher? You've never heard of Mr. C? I should have bring him down here. You need to. Mr. Davidson? Dr. Bain? Dr. Meeks? Oh, some of you know him because he preached for me a while back. Professor Blue Mountain. Argel Smith, oh, some of you know him because he's been here. Dr. Barlow. My grandmother. My granny. You see, they may never have attained the fame of Billy Graham, but God had them for such a time as this in my life. To influence me. And you know what? Most of us in here, we could recall some of those same kind of people. And it wasn't necessarily the people we saw on television. It was the people we saw in class every day. Or at home. Or at other contexts. Maybe the church. Why has God placed you in that specific school? in that specific company, in that specific career? Why has God placed you here in this specific church for this moment? And what's incredible is God can take people who are not preachers and not priests and he can use them in just unfathomable ways for the kingdom. Hey, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this. Do you understand how your career could be used to extend the kingdom not only here but beyond into the nations themselves? Because while preachers may not be able to do certain things in the Middle East, engineers can go and are welcomed. And while you're there as an engineer, you can take the gospel of Christ with you. Nurses. Teachers, so many different vocations that can be used around this globe to impact the kingdom of God. And we need more people who will step up and recognize the power of one and say, hey, I am willing to go and to make a difference for the kingdom. Recognize the risks that are involved. We have a responsibility, They're risk. I, I never say that they're not, I mean... Look at this. She is recognized. Esther is recognized that the king, the king may destroy her and may kill her. Just like that. Remember, this is a different age, different time. If she comes in unwanted into the court, he may just decide that she deserves the death penalty. But notice what Mordecai says to her. If you remain silent, don't think you're going to escape this. Death will come to your family. Will come to you. Don't think you're going to get by. There are risk. Yes, there are risk. And there are risk sharing the gospel of Christ. There are risks fulfilling your plan, your ministry that God's called you to. There are risk. But we need more people that are not concerned about all of what others say and what others do. We need people who just are obedient to Christ and say, Hey, we're going to do this, we're going to stand up, we're going to be the people we should be. Before him. As I tell my kids all the time, obedience is not based upon what other people do. Your obedience is not based upon what your brother does or your sister does. Your obedience is based upon who you are and who you should be. Whatever is come. I see a lot of folks who are in the insurance industry in here. I pray for you daily. And I know you have to think about liability and all of that. And I believe we ought to be wise in the way we go about ministry. They know that. Some of them I've talked to about this before. But we should never allow risk to stop us from ministering to people. We should never allow the risk of going overseas to stop us from taking the gospel i say again to you, I'm pretty proud that Paul did not just write off the ministry because of the risk. I'm proud he kept going. Because of those missionaries who kept going despite the risk, you and I are here today. What is God wanting to do with you? Are you willing? I think you would be willing to accept the risk if you had a confident purpose about you. If you knew that was your plan and purpose, it gives you all the confidence and assurance to face the risk, the liabilities, and to become resolved. Look at this. Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king which is against the law. And if I perish... I perish. This is not a note of fatalism. This is a note of courage and boldness and determination. I'm going because I know that's what God wants me to do. You've spoken to me and you're right. God's put me here for this time. I've come to the kingdom. There's no other explanation. How would I have been chosen out of all of the women of the empire to be here? I know it's got to be me. And I'm determined and resolved to obey whatever the consequences. You and I have to have that determination to resolve. Now, she did ask people to fast and pray. And it says in verse 17, Mordecai went on his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. We need people to pray. But we need to be people who are courageous and determined to fulfill that plan and purpose, whatever the risks are. Aren't you proud that Jesus... Recognize the plan and the purpose for his life for such a time as this? Aren't you proud that Jesus himself showed us what salvation and life could look like? I mean, here he was. He stood up and he came on our behalf to pay the ultimate price to die for us his life was not taken from him he willingly and voluntarily gave his life at the appropriate hour at the appropriate moment as you read the new testament it was not forced it was exactly what god intended and jesus had the resolve to fulfill the purpose and the plan of god remember the first words recorded out of jesus mouth First words recorded, I know he spoke other words, but the first words recorded out of Jesus' mouth in the New Testament is, I must be about my father's business. And that set his life. It set it on the course of being about the father's business. Even the night before he died, he prayed, not my will, but thy will be done. And he was resolved to face the cross and to pay the sacrifice for us. Today, because of the cross and the resurrection, you and I know life. If you don't know life, if you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you need to do that today. Because Jesus came for such a time as this. You need to give your life to him. For those of us who do know him, we have the plan, the purpose of God. We need to come with that same determination and courage that Esther did. And give ourselves to His work completely and totally. Today, I just ask you, would you surrender yourself and your life to Christ? Maybe it's in salvation because you've never done it. Or maybe you have, but you just need to give over again. Not in salvation, but a surrender, a submission to Him for what He is wanting to do in your life right now. What has he called you to do? Why has he placed you in that strategic position now? Would you hear God's word and would you respond? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this day. And Lord, I pray right now across this congregation that you would speak to people's lives. First, that you would convict, that you would speak, to those who are lost that they might be saved help them come and make a public confession of you before this congregation second for those of us who are saved and we know you have a plan we know you have a purpose but God we forget that you placed us in a strategic position God help us to deal with that once again help us to evaluate it help us to be committed help us to do To do what is necessary to bring you glory and to maximize your kingdom. God, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?